Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Some of the feedback we get says that some of our listeners enjoy the nostalgia that they feel when listening to the pod, as well as the niche topics that we occasionally delve into. Continuing in that spirit, today we'll be picking a county championship team of the 2000s, only taking two performances from 2000 to 2009. Don't worry if you aren't a massive county cricket badger or you weren't in the 2000s, there are plenty of fascinating stories that we'll touch on. And before we get into that, we'll be talking about the mammoth 55-man group that England are out today, who will resume training in the next week or so. I'm Yaz Rana, and to go through all of that with me today is the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and Test Match Specials, Dan Norcross. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing surprisingly well, thank you. People have got this thing about it being sunny and that that's taunting us during lockdown. I say to you, would you rather be stuck in lockdown with it pouring down with rain and not able to go out of the house? Or would you like to take a gander on Thuting Red Common and watch 12 Afghans smash a ball around? I mean, having great fun. There's there's an all-weather pitch on Thuting Red Common and there's a group of young lads to go and play. And I tell you, that's the future. That is, in, in, in 2025, we're going to see quite a few of those in an England shirt, I have no doubt. What, so these are groups of more than six people congregating? To play well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to dob them in. No, I mean, I think the, the way they're going about it is they're sort of alternating. So they, they pop along and they bowl a bit and they smash it into the trees. And then an, another group pop along and do the same thing. I've been, I've been commentating to myself. You know, it's very, very difficult if you're a cricket commentator and you have no cricket to commentate so you find yourself just commentating on anything that's passing by but then when you discover on a glorious sunny day some seriously talented young men smashing a tape ball 100 yards you, you stop you don't dob them into the police and uh, <laughs> and you start commentating <laughs> who wouldn't fantastic Joe, how are you doing? New magazine out today, and this <coughs> a massive county cricket feature as well. Uh, yes, it is a county cricket special. Um, obviously, a lot of people are missing county cricket a lot at the moment, although there have been some encouraging sounds over the last couple of days that we might get more county cricket than some people thought this year, albeit not for a little while yet. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're celebrating all the stuff that makes county cricket good. None of the usual hand-wringing of finances or formats or coal packs this time we're just focusing on the stuff that 
that we love. So we've, we've picked out 50 of the greatest county moments of the last 50 years. That's the kind of, that's the cover feature. Uh, but we've also picked out our, our shouts for the eight greatest ever championship sides and kind of played them off against each other. Uh, Melinda Farrell, um, Australian broadcaster, she's done a piece on Australia's love affair with county cricket. Obviously, we've seen some fantastic Aussies strutting their stuff over here. Uh, and we kind of look behind the curtain at the lives of county umpires who don't get too many column inches uh, generally, um, but they are often fascinating characters with um, quite a lot more going on than you, than you might imagine. So some, some really good stuff in there. And that's out today, Friday. Can I ask you a question, Joe? Is it, is it okay? As, sure. as the editor, um, it's been put to me on Twitter a couple of times over the last few days. How come football can start behind closed doors when it's a contact sport with 11 against 11 but county cricket isn't countenancing beginning until August is there a is it is, is there a particular reason why cricket is having to take that little bit longer uh I mean one word springs to mind and that's that's money uh I mean I, I think that's the the crux of it really um for all the kind of goodwill about getting football back on and it's what the people want. I mean, let's be honest, it, it basically comes down to the, to the money that is sloshing around the game and that will be due if, if the season doesn't finish, which obviously isn't the same with, with dear old county cricket. Um, so, yeah, I can absolutely understand people's frustration at that. Personally, I, I, I really didn't think we'd get much in at all this summer. So I, I'm actually coming from it at quite a positive point of view. I'm quite pleased that we're getting anything at all. Um, but maybe, maybe uh, the thing is, uh, a lot of people are kind of saying to the ECB, why aren't we doing more? It's not the ECB on this one. It, it's government regulations, whether they're fair or not. Um, the stipulated football comes first, as it generally does. Yeah, I, I still think that cricket will have a, a potentially a more prominent place in the national psyche this summer than it would do ordinarily for a home summer that had West Indies and Pakistan touring. And there won't be, even, even though football will return, there won't be that much live sport going on at all. And also on county cricket in particular, the idea that's being mooted of having a Lord's final for not the county championship, but a county tournament would be amazing. Like, you can almost bill it as the seventh test match of the summer. And that's something that I think would work really well uh, in, a, in a normal year as well, or something that would, would have considerable interest. If you had a county final which had the test players available, you'd have a really high-quality game at Lords or something towards the end of the season, maybe not to decide the winner of the county championship, but um, that's always been an idea that... I've always looked at the Sheffield Shield final, final with a bit of envy. I think that's quite a cool thing to have. Well, yeah. the, the whole regional thing, um, as a one-off, it could be, i say a stalking horse, but it could be a blueprint for a, a future way of doing it, couldn't it? Which would make... I, I don't quite know how I feel about it. I've really rather enjoyed two-divisional county championship cricket, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you have to read the runes. And if you ended up with 10 county championship matches and then slightly, I think there'd need to be semi-finals and a final, really, to, to yeah. make it work properly. But a Lord's final every year would be quite something, wouldn't it? Mm, definitely. Um, as mentioned at the top, England have announced an enormous group of players who will all return to training within the next week or so. Within that 55, there are 14 uncapped players. I'll go through them quickly. James Bracey, Henry Brooks, Bryden Cast, Laurie Evans, Richard Gleeson, Sam Hain, Tom Helm, Will Jacks, Tom Kohler-Cadmore, Dan Lawrence, Jamie Overton, Ollie Robinson, Phil Salt and Amar Verdi. Joe, you said last week when we were talking about the bowlers who returned to training that if you're not in that long list, you're a long way away from playing international cricket. 
who do you think will feel particularly unlucky or annoyed to not be in that 55-man group? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a big group. I mean, there'll be some demoralised English cricketers around today uh, to think, because even if you're not in a squad, you can always think, well, I'm just two or three picks away. If you're not in 55, then clearly, for whatever reason, they don't rate you particularly highly, um, at least at this moment. In terms of the bowlers, I mean, Jamie Porter is the one that stands out, taking a stack load of wickets for Essex. Um, lovers of county cricket will see this as another slap in the face that county performances don't necessarily count with the England selectors. Um, that certainly does seem to be the way, particularly when it comes to, to seam bowlers and I guess seam bowlers of, of his type. He's more of a kind of Jimmy Anderson style bowler who's done pretty well as it happens in, in test cricket. Um, so that'll be a real kick in the balls for Jamie, Jamie Porter. And also he's been part of a really successful team and while that shouldn't necessarily be the be all and end all. It should matter. I mean, he knows how to win matches. He knows, knows how to win trophies. So I, I think he can count himself very unlucky to not be in there. Dan, what about you? Any names that stick out from not being in that 50-man list? Well, J- Jamie Porter was a really big one and I really feel for him, actually. I've seen him play a lot and he plays on a pitch at Chelmsford, which it does assist bowlers, but it assists Simon Harmer a lot, doesn't it? So, you know, he's taking a lot of wickets bowling seam in the driest county in the country. We did some stats on that on TMS a couple of years ago. So uh, I, I do feel for him. And obviously this is a thing about pace, isn't it? And they've had him around the setup, so they've seen and they've made a decision. But the other one that really sticks out for me, and I'm, at, I'm a little bit like how Somerset fans feel about James Hildreth. I'm really sad for Sam Northeast because yeah. I think he's a really quality batsman. I don't quite know how he can't get into that. So I'm really delighted for Laurie Evans, I want to say. But I, I'm quite surprised that, that if you can find space for Laurie, and I think he deserves a place in that 55, that there isn't a space for Sam Northeast because he's a, a, of exceptional quality. And he... I guess he spent some time with the Lions. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but um, I think it means he's, he's never going to get any recognition. And I think he might go down. We might be talking in 10 years' time when we do a podcast on the best players ever to get capped. Uh, I fear that he's going to get into dispatches along with the likes of James Hildreth. Yeah, it just seems like the age of 30 is quite an early point in someone's career to basically write them off. It does, doesn't it? I mean, you look at Mike Hussey, for example... Uh, Adam Gilchrist, I mean, uh, players that came into their own a little bit later in their career. I, I think Sam is a really, really quality batsman. I see a lot of county cricket in my job. And when he comes out to bat, there's a, he just has more time. He plays delicious shots. Um, I don't quite know. He looks like class to me. And sometimes, you know, players, they don't always deceive your eye, do they? If you see somebody who's got that time and plays those kind of shots, you think they've got something about them. But... I don't know. Maybe it is his age. Laurie Evans isn't young, so I don't know. Yeah, Laurie Evans isn't the only slightly older person to be included. Richard Gleeson's 32, and he's included in the, in the, the group for the first time. Um, I wonder if some of the guys who are uncapped, I think most of them are more likely to play for England sooner in the white ball than red ball. And with a T20 World Cup round the corner... Um, Owen Morgan said this week that they're likely to use ODI cricket, whether or not there was a pandemic going on, they were likely to use ODI cricket this summer, have a look at some players they haven't seen before. So I guess it makes sense that more of the uncapped players mentioned so far have are, are uh, white ball players or more likely to be bringing white ball cricket. So maybe what, what? North East isn't as far away um, 
as as we might think. I don't know, but yeah, he averaged. He's one of three batsmen to average over fifty in championship last season. And four well, I think I think you'd want him in that group, wouldn't you? If you want, if you believed that you were going to use him out of fifty-five, is there no harm having him in the group? Uh, but I also I think I take the point that with the bowling, you know, the schedule as we understand it is going to have a lot of Test cricket back to back, and it's not going to be possible also to play one day as and play in the test team because I think the provisional schedule has got a test match and then a one-day international literally the next day in a different location. So with the way the biosecure arrangements are going to go, there's going to have to be 11 completely different players. With test matches coming thick and fast, I can see why they're going to need a, a big pool of quick bowlers. I suppose that's another reason why you might be really concerned if you're Jamie Porter because you know, they're going to need eight or nine fast bowlers at least in around the test squad, you would think. That opens up opportunities in one-day cricket. I don't suppose the problem there is that Jamie Porter isn't really seen as a white ball cricketer. So is he, is he one of the bowlers you would have in your large pool of test bowlers? And the answer that the selectors have given is an emphatic no, I'd say. The other notable absentee, although perhaps not that surprising given Owen Morgan's comments a couple of days ago, is, is Alex Hales, who I think we can say is, is not going to be playing in the T20 World Cup um, whenever that happens. Unless it's in two years' time, then I suppose he might have a chance. But Morgan is really not budging on this one. Uh, in fact, he's kind of doubling down uh, on his criticism of Hales and, and the way he behaved in the lead, lead to that World Cup. And obviously feels very personally let down by him. It's hard to criticise Morgan because of what he's delivered for English cricket. But on this one, I, I do feel like he's being a bit harsh with Hales. I'm not necessarily saying Hales should keep coming back into the side, but he really... And, and the media have got to take some responsibility for this as well, because we're obviously asking the questions about Alex Hales and he's only responding to them. But I think he could probably back them away if he wanted to. Morgan's accomplished at doing that. But instead, he, he seems to take it on and makes his point again that he just doesn't trust Hales and, and doesn't want him as part of the, the team at this stage. Yeah, it was quite interesting. Well, Morgan was talking this week, presumably in the knowledge that Hales wouldn't be included in this squad. And he said, on the cusp of a World Cup, the huge breakdown in trust between him and the players was extremely dramatic given the circumstances surrounding the four years and the build-up and the way things unfolded. I mean, to me, as someone who doesn't play elite sport and has been nowhere near to ever playing elite sport, I, I'd think that you'd want your best 11 players. But there, there seems to be an implication that having Hales around does is to the detriment of the other people in the squad. It's, this is a story as old as cricketing time, isn't it? If you think about the selections that haven't happened over the, over the years. You know, Tony Gregg, for example, when setting up uh, being, being involved in Packer, he would have, you would have imagined, walked into the England team then and that was sort of seen as a, a breakdown in trust. Um, when players went on the South African tour, they were banned because effectively it was seen as turning their back on the team. You had the Kevin Peterson affair. There's this notion, uh, rightly or wrongly, that uh, if, if, you, if you let down the national side, then you're going to be punished for it. And I think this is about more than trust in the moment, isn't it? It's about punishment for on the eve of a World Cup in your own country to put yourself in the position where you, you might not get to play because, as we know, you know, drug tests and what have you, that is, that is seen as a really terrible crime. I don't quite know how you atone for it. That's my concern with all these things. That It's all very well us being angry about stuff, but there has to be space for atonement. And 
I don't know what Alex Hales would have to do to prove that he's learned from his mistakes. And that, that's never great if you have a situation where you can't come back from something that you've done wrong. Let's get going with our team. So it's a county championship team of the 2000s, from 2000 to 2009. The crucial rule for this is that we are only allowed to pick one overseas player, which I'm afraid makes our lives considerably harder. There is just one Englishman in the top 15 highest batting averages with minimum of 3,000 runs over the course of that decade. So this should be quite interesting. I think the easiest way to start would be to agree on who our overseas player is and go there. I think this should be fairly easy. Um, have you, have you, I think you both have gone for him. Let me check. Yeah, you've both gone for Mushtaq Ahmed. Joe, kind of a no-brainer. He was the leading wicket-taker for, I think, four or five years in the middle of the decade. A crucial part of three championship wins and massive influence on the decade as a whole. Yeah, in the modern era, I don't think there's been a more impactful overseas signing. If you think Sussex had never won the county championship and they win three in his time there in his first year in 2003 and then again in 2006, 2007, took 100 wickets in 2003, 2006. No one's done that since and then no one did it for quite a long time before him. Um, his record is absolutely extraordinary all the, more, all the more so when you consider when he arrived at Sussex people thought he was kind of on the way out his Pakistan career had pretty much finished um, he was seen as not, not exactly a troublemaker but hard to get the best out of I think that was certainly the impression towards the end of his time at Somerset uh, but he comes along at Sussex and just rejuvenates the whole club uh, yeah astonishing input um, and really a no-brainer, which is an incredible thing to say when you think of some of the Australian batsmen who have done what they've done. But I think it's got to be Mushtaq Ahmed. Uh, uh, yes, I think it does. I wouldn't go so far as to say it is a no-brainer for the reason that the best batsmen, as, as Yaz pointed out, 14 of the top 15, I think they're all Australians, aren't they? So we're necessarily reducing the side's batting strength. But there isn't a spinner that comes anywhere close to him that's English. I would say that Sakhalin Mushtaq, I, I did ponder over Sakhalin Mushtaq because he was hugely instrumental in three Surrey Championship wins in four years. Uh, and he transformed Surrey from a side that wasn't, hadn't really been challenging for the Championship for quite a long time into one that was completely dominant. But A, look, Mushy's a leg spinner. B, Sussex they don't win county championships and see to 100 wickets, as you said, Joe, two years running. So, yeah, I wouldn't go quite as far as say no-brainer, but you're right. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't justify getting my Surrey hero in. Whilst we're on the spinner, Yaz, as well, just because I don't think he's going to make our team because Mushtaq's in there, but Robert Croft should probably get a mention at this stage as well in terms of... Um, he's the second highest wicket-taker in this period behind Mushtaq Ahmed across the whole of county cricket and scored well over 5,000 runs too. So if we were to go with an overseas batsman, then I think Croft would have had to be our spinner by quite a distance, I think. So I think he's worthy of a mention, if not necessarily that close to selection. Definitely. Comparing the championship now to what it was like 20 years ago in the early 2000s, the A-list international superstars generally don't appear in the championship now as much as they used to. I mean, last year we had Babar Azam for a few games, Coley was supposed to play for Surrey in 2018, but never did. But either way, it's, it is rarer. 20, T20 leagues, in particular the IPL, are the priority now in terms of domestic cricket. Joe, one of the moments featured in the magazine's greatest moments in county cricket in the last 50 years was Roel Dravid playing for Kent in innings against Shane Warne when he was playing for Hampshire in 2000. 
have I, have I overplayed the decline in overseas influence in county cricket? And if not, how much of a loss has this been for the county game over the last 20 years? Uh, I don't think you've overplayed it if we limit it to county championship cricket. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of the big stars turn up for T20 Blast over the last few years. But certainly, yeah, in championship cricket, I think also there was a depth of first-class cricket around the world because this period we're looking at was when Australia just beat everyone and had a, a, a second-string top six that was significantly better than England's first-string top six. Um, so there was just such a depth of player that came over here. So even if you wouldn't say they were the best test players in the world, they were still unbelievably good players. People like Mike Hussey wasn't in the Australia side at that point. Darren Lehman was, was in and out. Uh, Phil Jakes, these kind of names. Stuart Law being the most obvious one. He was, would have been England's best batsman if he was in England's top six, <laughs> I think, probably, around some Chris of that Rogers. Yeah. Chris Rogers as well, yeah. I mean, they just, the kind of, the list goes on. But yeah, this, this battle that we pick out between Raul Dravid and Shane Warne, which was at the United Services ground in Portsmouth, and the last ever game, first-class game played there, was a real example of, you could have argued the best bowler versus the best batsman in the world going up against each other. Perhaps Dravid not quite at that level, but, but not far off. Uh, and Dravid came out on top in this one, um, scoring a century. I didn't see the game firsthand, but people who did, um, I think Tanya Aldred was there, wrote about it, The Guardian said, I mean, you can get this, you can pay a tenner and watch this for a day. What, what other sports you get that in? Um, and yeah, Dravid won the day, but it was, it was the battle. I think Warren bowled 16 and 17 over spells either side of lunch trying to get his man. Dravid blocked him, but also went on to score kind of fluently in the afternoon session and, and played one of the, the great championship knocks, says the people who, who saw it. It's like the occurrence of watching Bobby Moore and Pele at Accrington Stanley, isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely, it's absolutely extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary moment. I loved that bit in the piece. Actually, it was marvelous. Dan, who's who's opening the batting for you in, in your team? Okay, right. Um, I don't know if again if this is a no-brainer, but I I was torn a bit because I sort of half thought about Mark Butcher at the top of the order, but in the end, even though he didn't play as many games in this decade because he's playing for England a fair bit of course I've had to go with Marcus Dreskothic 71 matches 5,700 runs an average of 52 and I love him um, and I've contrasted him with another left-hander a bit more silky but a man who faced the first 100 mile per hour ball recorded the silken haired smooth tongued uh, Warwickshire left-hander hugely underrated I think Nick Knight 88 matches he played, averaged 51.8. I think that is a really beautiful opening pairing. Yeah, I think me and Joe agree. We picked both of them together in the ODI team of the decade, the England ODI team of the decade. Um, so they, they know each other well in our wisdom teams of the 2000s. Um, Joe, you did go for Triscothic, but you didn't go for Nick Knight. Yeah, just quickly on Triscothic, uh, as Dan says, he... he Missed a chunk of county cricket because he's playing for England. But I think the amazing thing about Triscothic is how there's not been many England cricketers who have given up their international career uh, and then gone back to county cricket and flourished. I think it's hard to keep yourself going after you've had the intensity and the crowds of, of international cricket. Now, obviously, Triscothic had different circumstances to a lot of people, given his mental health issues. But he said himself when he came back that first year or so, it was a struggle. But to then continue doing it, relentlessly, long beyond the decade we're talking about here, uh, is, a re is an extraordinary feat. And he's a real um, kind of flag bearer for county cricket as a whole. So even though he missed a few games in this decade, absolutely a gimme for me. 
Uh, and then Nick Knight, it, it, yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree. I mean, he's, he's a very good selection. I've gone with Rob Key, um, which, as we were saying at the start of this, there is obviously favouritism does, does creep in somewhat. Uh, I grew up in Canterbury. I saw Key hit Alan Donald around St. Lawrence ground on his debut, I think it was, in a one-day game. And I've always followed him closely. I've always enjoyed interviewing him. I think he's a, a, a brilliant commentator. Um, but he's got a brilliant record as well, averaging 45 in that period, 2,800s at the top of an order. Uh, I'd also add as well that the burden of captaincy at Kent shouldn't be underestimated here because Kent were a bit of a mess for a lot of this period. They were financially screwed, losing a lot of their good players. And Key was not only captain, he was basically kind of an old school captain and he just ran the whole show. He just did everything. It's sort of looking after recruits, contracts, all this kind of stuff. Put out the boundary markers as well, didn't you, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Which you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect uh, of a captain now. It's very, it's very different. It's interesting how it's changed. And notably, in 2013, he handed the captaincy to James Treadwell and then had a brilliant year, the best year he'd had for several seasons. And then got asked to do the job again the next year when Treadwell didn't feel quite up to it. And then his form dipped again. So I would just say that average in itself perhaps is affected slightly by being not just a batsman, but a kind of an overlord of the Kent team for, for many, many years. Yeah, he, he was given the captaincy reasonably young. It was only a year, it was only the year after he last played for England, which again, he, he wasn't that old, so mid-20s and had that for such a long time. So I think he was captain for half a decade, pretty much. So that is fair. So who, who are you going to go for? Is it going to be Key or Knight? Knight was more of an actual opener. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you've, you've persuaded me that because we might want a left-hand, right-hand combination. I hasten to add that I don't believe, I don't think the stats back up that it makes any difference, actually. Hayden and Langer are both left-handers. But for that, for that reason, and I think the clincher for me, what you've persuaded me of, is that Rob Key played in all 10 years of that decade and Nick Knight in only seven of them. So I will cede you, I will give you Key but you, okay. you may have to give me something back later. I feel like this, you've gone in early with the compromise. <laughs> That's right. I've, I've basically bought the first round of the pub. <laughs> Excellent. So we've got Triscothic and Key opening the batting. Somebody who you both obviously picked was Mark Rambagash, who had a ridiculous decade. Look, If you look across the decade, there were, there were probably three teams that were dominant at various periods. So Surrey at the start of the decade, Sussex in the middle and Durham at the end. I was looking at the Surrey squad that won the championship in 2002. 18, 18 of their squad played international cricket. They had available to them an international team, plus some, some others. Um, they, they could have fielded Ward, Brown, Rambrakash, Thorpe, Stewart, Butcher, Hollyoke in their top seven easily. Ram, but yeah, as I said at the start, Rambrakash was miles ahead in terms of the English batsmen on this list. So Dan, an absolute no-brainer. Uh, this is, the, for me, the only complete and total no-brainer. 14,000 runs in a decade. I mean, that's ridiculous. Average 73. And as you point out, that Surrey team, what's in many ways so extraordinary about it is that so many of their players were playing for England, and yet they were still completely dominant. I mean, it's, it was the best county team I think I've ever seen was that Surrey team at, at the back end. And it was impossible to see how they could lose. Rampakash is also just one of those beautifully elegiac picks, isn't he? I mean, he's one of those guys talked about earlier when we were talking about Sam Northeast. Your eye just got drawn 
to Ramprakash. He was a cut above everybody that he was playing against. Your, your regrets were always that it didn't happen for him in test cricket. But you didn't have to think about that when you were at a county game. You could convince yourself that this was just as important. And what you were watching was true, startling, staggering genius. Um, I'm not sure I've got anything more to say, really, on Ramprakash. He's just, I think he's the most obvious selection that we've had in the whole team. If we were picking an all-time county championship 11, he'd have to be in the conversation for that, yeah. I think. His numbers, he scored 19 more hundreds than any other batsman in this decade, <laughs> uh, which is just, just ridiculous. Um, and interesting, so he went to Surrey in 2001, so he spent the first year of this decade at, at Middlesex. Uh, coincidentally, I interviewed Ram Prakash a couple of days ago for, for a piece in the magazine, and, and he said there was a lot of surprise when he went to Surrey in 2001 because people didn't think he'd get in the team. So he was that good at that point. He was actually... Uh, in negotiations with Kent and Essex, and then Surrey came along at the last minute and, and took him, um, which just goes to show exactly how good that Surrey team were. If there was any consideration that Ramprakash might not make it in the top the top six. Yeah, Joe, do you think that, um, going on what Dan said there, do you think they were the best team of the decade, that Surrey team in the first few years? As a, Yeah, I mean, if you look across the lineup, I think it's hard to look elsewhere. I mean, Sussex were, were a brilliant side. He won it three times, but in terms of a star-studded team, they were nowhere near that Surrey side. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've really seen a, a team like that Surrey side since, really, in terms of the personnel. Hmm. Cool. Um, Joe, who, who have you got at four, five or six? You can give me anyone in the middle order. I think this is where it gets interesting. Well, I'll go with number four. I think, yeah, it's a slightly controversial. Uh, I've gone with Murray Goodwin. Uh, who up until 2005 was an overseas player, but then became a coal pack player. And won, so he won two county championships as a coal pack player. Um, he scored, across those three title winning seasons, he scored uh, more than 4,000 runs at an average of 60, 1,400s across those years. Um, so whilst Mushtaq was very much the kind of headline act, uh, Goodwin was kind of the, the glue that held the whole operation together really in a, in a not particularly star-studded batting lineup he was so consistent so reliable uh, and I remember Chris Adams talking about the influence he had on, on the club as a whole and, and looking after young batsmen so in terms of talent I, I don't have any issues at all with selecting him uh, the cold pack overseas thing is is possibly a technicality I'm getting around I think it's uh, fair I mean loads of county teams have had multiple non-English players in their teams so I think uh, it would be an unfair reflection of the 2000s if we only had one non-Englishman. No, I disagree entirely. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because basically, if we're allowed Murray Goodwin, then we're also allowed Stuart Law. Because Stuart Law, by the end of the decade, I believe, had qualified to play for England, hadn't he? Um, and, and so I, I have been very strict with myself. I've taken... And also, I think that, you know, Cole Packery is something that's, that's uh, not necessarily to everybody's taste. So I have tried to be as pure in thought and deed as possible by selecting my, my one overseas and the other 10 are all going to be qualified to play for England. Um, that's commendable, but I think I'm going to allow Goodwin because he played, he, he was very, very good and not an overseas for, for half a decade. So... Okay, well, let me let me throw in let me throw in some alternatives for you then, Go because on. we've got to, we've got to pick the four, five, six, and um, because the 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 lineup of my side is four frontline bowlers and an all rounder, 
I'll go straight to the all-rounder because if we can agree on the all-rounder, then we've effectively got just two slots to pick at four and five. Okay. So the all-rounder I've gone for is Ronnie Irani. And there may be people screaming right now, what are you talking about, Ronnie Irani? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're aware, but in the 2000s, he played in 98 matches, scored 6,673 runs, and scored them at an average of 50.9. Is he like the fifth highest averaging Englishman in that decade? And he also gives you some very, very serviceable bits and pieces bowling. Um, average 26.2 with a ball. So if, you were, if we agree that we're going to play five bowlers, and surely we do because we're English and that's the way we always go about things, isn't it? Top five batsmen, all-rounder, keeper, four bowlers. Then Irani slots in at six and that only gives us two batsmen at four and five. What do we think? Well, I have got an all-rounder at six. I agree with the, the formula. But my all-rounder is different to yours. Although I, 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 I feel like, like the Rob Key compromise might be coming back here. But, um, and I, I'm probably willing to go along with that. So I've gone with Ian Blackwell. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And I think people might also be screaming, what, why are you picking him? Uh, but So he averaged 43 with the bat across the decade. Um, and 234 wickets to 39 with the ball. Played for Somerset for the majority of that, but then moved to Durham in 2009 and then help them defend their championship title. So, as I was saying earlier about players who've won things, Blackwell won, didn't win Durham County Championship, but played a big part in that county championship win. Um, Jeff Cook picked his all-time Durham 11 for our magazine recently, and, and Blackwell was in there at six for him. Jeff Cook knows his stuff, certainly knows his Durham stuff. So that's why I lent that way. But Blackwell was a spinner, and... How often do you really need a, a kind of second, not frontline spinner, but a, a, a proper spinner when you've got Mushtaq Ahmed? I'm not sure that's necessary. So I would be willing to compromise with Irani, especially given that extraordinary batting record, which I thought might be a mistake when I saw the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm willing to, to compromise with Irani instead of Blackwell. Okay, well, if we've got Irani... Then... Oh, can, I, no, can I throw a name in for an all-rounder that you yes. know you mentioned? Uh, so you've both got the guys who did really well predominantly with the bat. Um, Mark Elam was brilliant with the ball. I know he didn't quite play the whole decade, but he was pivotal in Knotts' championship win. He averaged, he, got, he took 56 wickets at 20 when they won the championship in 2005. Averaged 30 odd with the bat. So it would give the side a uh, slightly different balance to Irani than Blackwell. But I thought I'd Throw his name it's a, look, it's a decent shout, but I think we need a, I think we need a, sort of a more solid batsman there because we're, we're going to get to pick some stellar bowlers here. We've already got Mushy, and we've got three absolute corkers still to come in a bowling attack. So, I don't know how many overs Mark Elam is bowling in this team. Mark, Mark Elam was one of my absolute favourite cricketers growing up, so I, I, it's difficult to argue against him, but he was never a six, really. He was, he was a seven. Uh, so I think given the... the the setup of the side, I don't think he's the man to fill that, that position. Okay, sounds like we're going for Ronnie Ronnie six. Okay, so let me now, in that case, I think we need to throw some names out there because this is tricky for our batsmen. Yeah. Four, four and five. Uh, we've had your, your suggestion, Joe. Um, I've got one that I'm passionate about because he represents to me everything that county cricket is. Um, David Sales of North Hans. He is the man 
whom I've never seen this happen, by the way. So <laughs> I don't mean this to be slanderous or libelous, but he's a sort of man you'd expect to see just propping up the bar at the close of play, um, almost quite quietly remembering and mulling over matches that took place 20 years before, rosy red cheeks, drinking flat bitter on a nice hot day. He scored a triple hundred, which I watched all of on Crick Info when I was at work. It's, a, it's an interesting job you've given me here, Yaz. The one decade I got to see virtually no county cricket because I actually had a proper job is the decade we're talking about. So I watched most of county cricket from the office on the computer as, as numbers went up or down. Uh, and he's a kind of, you know, one club man. Um, he's been captain. He was there for yonks. He scored a prolific number of runs, over 8,000 runs in this period, average 46. I've got him in because he is, for me, what county cricket sort of is. You know, we, we've got some star-studded people up here. We've got Trescothic and Key. We've got these internationals. We've got Mushtaq Ahmed. Um, we're going to have others, I'm sure, to come. I just like him because he's emblematic of the game that we love so much. So I'm throwing him as a, as a thought. And then I don't know how we pick between the likes of Graham Hick, who is... Also, classic county championship stalwart, as well as having played lots of test cricket. Um, Ravi Bapara, uh, Mark Butcher. But the one I would go with, because I like a bit of style, who also had success at Sussex and played for Middlesex, Ed Joyce. Ed Joyce is a man that I want to see in that middle order. So I think this is going to be a tough pick, four and five. I'm going to have to make some compromise. I have a horrible feeling I'm going to have to let David Sales go, aren't I? Because I haven't seen any of you nodding. I love Sales as a pick. I think he was also, I mean, despite his runs at camp level, he was an unfulfilled talent, wasn't he, really? I mean, mm. at under-19 level, he was known as, as the best batsman in the country at that stage. And it just never quite works out for him. I don't know enough about him to know exactly why that was. But I know in terms of natural talent, everyone said he was the best around at that, that age. Not yeah. you've mentioned Chris Adams. Chris Adams, obviously captain Sussex to three championship titles, wasn't quite as prolific as Goodwin, but still played a massive role in their success. Well, yes. he was—he's in—he's in my side, Chris Adams. He's in at number five. Um, and look, no way am I saying is Chris Adams the top six batsman of the of this decade. That said, he averaged 43, 22 hundreds, fourteenth uh, highest run score of the decade. So he's he's very much in there. But it's crucially those those Sussex titles, three of them in the space of, what was it, four, five years? Uh, uh, very nearly left Sussex at the end of the 2016 that had actually been unveiled as Yorkshire's new player coach, uh, only to then do a, a new turn a couple of weeks later and hadn't signed the contract, which left everyone at Yorkshire pretty pissed off. Um, so, I mean, he he's another proper county pick. And this is what I, I think Dan was saying before we started this, that He's tended to go with players who really symbolise county cricket. And Chris Adams is another one of those for me. And that might well be because they didn't crack it at Test cricket or they weren't good enough. That's it's very possible with some of these names. Um, but that doesn't kind of change what they did in that time. So he, he's in there as a, as a very good batsman, but also as a, as a proper leader and a very successful captain. So, yes, well, do you want to narrow down who we've talked about? And then we'll have to see how we vote for it. I, I think Goodwin gets in the team. Ooh. Because his, his record is superior to basically everyone else we've <coughs> talked about. And I think he does qualify. So I think we've got, it's basically between Sales um, and Adams, I think, for the last spot. 
And Joyce was the other one. And, that Joyce, and Joyce, yes. What's, um, what's sales record? Do you have it handy there? Yeah. 8,264 runs at an average of 46.2. Sales isn't just a sentimental pick. His record is no, no. right up there with... Um, I mean, it's, it's practically identical to Hicks over the course of the decade. I think it's, he, he would be a very, very fair selection. I, 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 I'm definitely... I'm discarding Hick on the basis that he had a great... He had a great career. And he did lots of things. A lot of great things he did in, were in the 20th century. And I don't think he needs our approval. I, I want to give, in, I want to give our approval. Teams. Hick could be in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. <laughs> he could. So I, I, I think we instantly say no to Hick because he's got, he's got bigger fish to fry or other fish to fry. Let's put it that way. Um, so to me, it then comes down to between Adams, Joyce and Sales. Uh, the problem well, with Adams is he gives us a captain, but I think sales. I think if if we are going to say this is a county championship side of the decade, I think I'm going to put my neck on the block and say, if I thought about county championship cricket in the 2000s, outside the successful, really, you know, the big successful counties, the name that instantly screams at me is David Sales. Well, look, I'm I'm willing to let Adams fall out of the conversation because I think when you weigh him up against Sales and um, and Joyce, he's the inferior batsman. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it back to Dan. Basically, your your pick between Joyce or Sales, but you're well, going Sa- with Sales. Sales played two fewer games than Joyce, but averaged one run more. And we've got two left-handers at the top of the order, so. I'm going to go with a. I'm going to go with a right-handed sales at five. Lovely. So we've got the top six: Cheskovic, Key, Rambukash, Goodwin, Sales, and Irani. Now on to the wicketkeeper. You both went for Chris Reed. I must admit, looking at the numbers from this decade, Chris Reed's record with the bat is much better than I thought it was. He averaged over forty over the course of the decade. I thought that his improvement with the bat came to to the latter part of his, his career, but he was excellent with the bat. This decade, was there anyone else that you really considered seriously considered picking ahead of Reed? Yes, yes. I mean, for, to me, when, when this first came up, I thought it's Foster or Reed, Foster or Reed, Foster or Reed, and then Foster better gloveman, just but Reed's great gloveman, and um, and again, he's a county man. He could captain our team. Uh, we need a captain, and as you say, his batting, his batting just flew basically after he was dropped by England. <laughs> then, he started scoring mountains of runs. So uh, I, I was I was 50-50 when I first was given the task. And within about three minutes, I was 90-10. Joe, how close was Tony Frost to making your team? <laughs> not not very, but um, good segue though. Um, so yeah, he is in our 50 moments uh, because let me just get the year right. It's 2009, isn't it, that he, he came good? Oh, my- Maybe 2008? It was the year. You're right, 2008. So he'd retired in 2006 um, because of back issues and he'd actually joined the Edgebaston backroom staff. So Tony Frost, people who might not remember him, he was kind of uh, unassuming, bespectacled wicketkeeper uh, who didn't look like a cricketer, uh, looked much more like he was uh, suitable for the ground staff than a cricketer, really. So he, he, he did that role. And then Warwickshire lost Tim Ambrose that summer because he got called up by England. Uh, and I think it would have been Ashley Giles at the time persuaded Tony Frost to, to come out of retirement, basically just to fill a hole. Um, and Frost had a season like he'd never had before with the bat. Um, 
you got career best 242 not out at Chelmsford and then passed a thousand runs for the year in his final knock of the season just edging out Hashi Mamla to finish top of the first class averages for the year which as county cricket goes is, is one of those kind of beautiful stories that ju- it just wouldn't happen in other sports um, so yeah Tony Frost makes the 50 does not quite make my team unfortunately uh, if we were doing a team of 2008 um, is, that, is that on the cards Yes, give that um, a <laughs> Well, it'd have to be a pretty long lockdown if we get to the team of 2008. Um, but yeah, I should, no, men- I, sh- I should mention, sorry, the, how, how to get the new magazine. So obviously the, the, the Tony Frost story there, he is part of the, the big feature in this month's issue. So, the, so to, to buy a print copy, head to wisdom.com forward slash shop. Or if you want the digital version, head to wcmdigi.com. And right now, new subscribers to the digital version can get their first three copies for just £2.99 at bit.ly slash wisdom3. Uh, quite frankly, ridiculous deal. Um, and back on Frost. Frost is now the batting coach at Warwickshire, and he's had quite a big part in Dominic Sibley's improvement yeah. form as well. So, yeah, good man. But it sounds like we're going to Chris Reid. We are. Yeah, I, I, I was saying, I mean, I knew he'd... He had a couple of really, really good years at the bat. In 2009, called 1,200 runs at 75, which for a keeper is pretty astonishing. Also, captains not to the title in 2010, so just outside this period, um, and, was, and had a big role in them winning the title in 2005. So, yeah, he was, uh, in this particular debate, clear of Foster, although I agree with Dan that Foster was probably the better keeper. Cool. Um, now, on to the bowlers. Who is taking the new ball for you, Dan? Right, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, this is going to be difficult, isn't it? So I've got three seamers to go with Mushtaq Ahmed, right? And I'm going to give you all three of them so that we can perm our three bowlers. I think we've established we don't want another spinner because of conditions, what have you. So my three are, again, massively emblematic of county cricket and have played their part in success for their counties at various points. Martin Bicknell, not just because I'm a Surrey man, 6,000 runs to go with his 1,000 wickets. Not many people get 1,000 first-class wickets. Uh, it's, he's took 281 wickets in this decade, an average of 25. His longevity, his understanding of the county game, uh, I, I adore him. He's one of my favourite cricketers. I couldn't, I couldn't not pick him. I think you've combined uh, both Bicknell brothers there. I think Darren scored 6,000 runs. No, no, no. Oh, no, in his career. Okay. Martin Bicknell. Martin Bicknell, in his career, scored 6,047 runs, I believe. Um, I, I'll, I'll double-check for you on Crick Info, but I'm fairly certain he did. Oh, I was going to say, Darren very... Bicknell nearly scored an identical number of runs in that decade. He scored 6,300. Which just goes to show what an incredibly brilliant player Martin Bicknell was, <laughs> it seems to me. I'm going to get that up for you so that I can double-check. 6,740 runs. 300s, 26.50s, an average of 24.86. And that's in a Surrey team and in county championship cricket where if you're batting at eight, it's, it's quite tricky to average 24, 25 the opportunities don't come so much in a strong team as well. My other two bowlers, I've got them not just because they're both alarmingly ginger, but because their longevity is absolutely staggering. I've got Lancashire's Glen Chapel, he took 441 wickets of the decade. And I've got, again, one of my favourite cricketers, um, 
Ryan side bottom, 88 matches, 300 wickets at 24.9. He gives me the left arm option as well. So I've got two right arm seamers and a left arm seamer and Mushtaq. I think I've got a really beautiful balance there. Uh, and, you know, side bottom had success, didn't he? And, and won championships, as did Martin Bicknell. Glenn Chappell would probably have won more in a, in a, in a more consistent team. So, but I'm, I'm prepared to relinquish. I'm prepared to relinquish one if you could give me good reason. I can, I'm prepared to relinquish Chapel of those three more readily than Bicknell and Sidebottom. Okay, well I've got I've got two of those three. Um, so I've got Glenn Chapel, and I've got Ryan Sidebottom. Sidebottom's in then. Shall we just say Sidebottom? Sidebottom's in. in, which I think is fair enough. So of three hundred wickets at twenty four point nine in this decade. No bowler with as many wickets had a better average. So, I mean, it, yeah, absolutely makes sense. Three championships as well. Yeah, and we sort of forgotten when we were talking about our team of the, the next decade. So it's only fair that we put them in this one, I think. Um, so yeah, and then I had Chapel as well, um, who was second highest seamer behind John Lewis. Actually, Gloucester was the highest seamer of the decade, who who didn't. He's certainly in contention, but is not my third seamer. My third team that sort of came out of nowhere and surprised me a bit when I was looking through these stats uh, is Kavir Ali, uh, who I've got to be honest, this was very much stats-led because I don't remember him being quite as good as his stats suggest. But he took 374 wickets in the decade, but it was the strike rate, 44.8, fourth best in the decade. Only Anderson, Broad and Navid Ulhassan uh, had better strike rate and they all played significantly fewer matches. Um, so his record absolutely stacks up, even though his reputation is, I would say, not as, he's not as well known or well appreciated as Martin Bicknell, certainly. Um, more helpful, more helpful wickets. He had a real spread across the decade. Bicknell's bowling on, and this is, you see, you can't have it both ways with Surrey players. You can't say, well, look at all the runs they score because they're playing on a shirt front and then ignore the people who, Take the wickets there. This is, this is my feeling that you know Bicknell is one of these guys who would toil away and toil away in unfriendly conditions. Now I might be being unfair on Kabir Ali, but I think if you put them both on a Test match pitch, Bicknell's the one with the relentless line and length, the Glenn McGrath, if you will, of County Championship cricket. Well, I think that's when did when did Martin Bicknell retire? Two thousand six. Oh, I see. I see where you're going. That's <laughs> sneaky. That's sneaky of you. Oh, yes. We might have to stick him in the team in the 90s. Oh. Whereas Cabirali, and again, this surprised me, he took 67 wickets in 2003 and then passed 50 wickets in 2007 and 2008, which is, that's, that's proper longevity. I mean, he's certainly a bowler who's benefited from the decade that we've picked here. If you'd picked 95 to 2005, I think Big Nord would have to be in there. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm not saying you shouldn't on this one, but I do think Cameroon has benefited from it being a specific decade. Uh, and it's a, it's a tough one to, to decide on, really. Yeah, Yaz, have you got any thoughts? Yeah. To swipe? Well, I've got to mention a few guys that neither of you mentioned. So one, Stephen Harmison was brilliant over the course of the whole decade. His career fits for the decade. I know that he had a very impressive England career in this time as well, but kind of when his England career was coming to an end, he took 110 wickets at about 22 uh, across Durham's two championship wins at the end of the decade. Uh, it was, was brilliant 
obviously at the start of the decade to get into the England team in the first place. 280 wickets at 24.5. I think that's quite compelling. Um, his average isn't great, but Steve Kirby took 50 wickets at 21 for Yorkshire when they won in 2001, played the entirety of the decade. One of only three or four seamers take 400 wickets. Um, and I'm not seriously suggesting him for the team, but someone who kind of never really gets much of a mention, but his numbers are just incredible. And to be honest, I don't know much about him. But Mark Davies, um, yes. 231 wickets at 21. Um, I was reading today that he nearly played for England in a tour of South Africa in 2008 or not 2009, I think. But other than that, was never really that close to international honours. Um, and an injury kind of held him back a little bit. But from a numbers point of view, his career was amazing. Yes, I mean, I consider Mark Davis because he's one of these guys, one of these extraordinary guys who gets forgotten and very occasionally mentioned in dispatches, but has some extraordinary numbers. But I think it's the lack of cricket that he played because of injuries, variously, over his career, meant that, you know, we, we got, this is an 11. This is no disrespect to the mighty Mark Davis if he doesn't get into the 11. Uh, I hear you about Harmison, but I've, on, the, on the Hick principle, that he's got plenty going on in his life. You know, he's a leading commentator for talk sport. He's got the memories of taking seven for against the West Indies. Um, he's won the Ashes. He's had a joyful life. Um, he, he doesn't need our approval. He's, he's got plenty going on. And that's, so that's why I, I didn't quite go with Harmison. I'm considering a weird compromise, you know. I'm, I'm going to say to you, what if we pick Side bottom Bicknell and Kabir Ali and leave out Glenn Chapel because oh. Glenn Chapel's got another decade to come. He has. I mean, this is not going to go down well in Manchester if, if we do that one. Um, after, <laughs> <laughs> I don't after, think we can. One ODI appearance, which is a travesty <laughs> of justice now. Wisdom leave just pouring salt into the wounds. You, you, uh, yeah, you also both picked him in your team. So. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Am I going to have to let Martin Bicknell go? If we let Martin Bicknell go, can, can you just make sure he never hears this podcast? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I adore him in, in, in every way and I just feel bad about this. But if you promise me that we can pick him in the team of the 90s, then I'll let him go and you can have Cabir Ali. Well, yeah, I mean, Jazz, what do you think on Cabir Ali? I'm still a bit surprised by it myself because yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize the stats were quite that good. Um, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't win anything. Um, I mean, Harmison mm. for me is, I do, I take the point that he had a successful inning career and, and doesn't need a, a boost up with selection for this team. But going back to my point of, of championship winners, he did play a big part in the sure. Durham side that didn't, hadn't won anything in four day cricket before, weren't expected. Is that the ultimate compromise? Are we going to put Harmison in instead of either Kabir Rally or Martin Bicknell? I mean that is really in the spirit of compromise, isn't it? We're both willing to give up what we what we wanted. If only if only the politicians could be as big as we are, <laughs> what a world it would be. I I I think Harmison makes sense. I think he gets in the team purely on county championship performances, a bit like Treskothic. Yeah, okay, okay. Gothic. I'm prepared to do that. Treskothic, Key, Rambakash, Goodwin, Sales, Irani, Reed, Chapel, Harmison, Sidebottom, and Mushy. That is a one hell of eleven. And a reminder, listeners, that to get the new issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, you can buy a print copy at wisdom.com forward slash shop or as a Digiman at wcmdigi.com. And you can get that ridiculous digital deal where you get the first three copies for £2.99 at bit.ly slash wisdom3. 
Um, thank you very much, both. That was good fun. You're very before welcome. We go, before we go, uh, two points. Do we think that side would have beaten the 2002 Surrey team? Do you know what? I thought exactly the same thing, and I think probably not. <laughs> yeah. And my second point, and, uh, and I just want to give a heartfelt thanks to all of you guys at Wisdom Cricket Monthly from the freelancers out there. Um, the Pinch Hitter magazine, which is helping a lot of people by commissioning a lot of work from those of us who have absolutely no work at the moment. And uh, we know that there are some sacrifices being taken by you guys in making it possible. So I just wanted to thank you all for that because um, there's precious little opportunity out there for those of us whose lives depend on live cricket and uh, you guys have stepped into the breach quite manfully and magnificently. So that's the pinch hitter. Go and get it. It's an online magazine. comes out every other Friday. And um, we're, we're hugely appreciative. Thank you. Well, just to respond to that, the, the podcast that you and Adam Connors have put together, Calling the Shots, the kind of history of cricket commentary, is a real feat that you've put together. I don't know, I know you've been working bloody hard at putting it together. It comes out every fortnight, but there's clearly a huge amount of work that goes into it. It's a beautifully produced thing as well, and you've got some great names on there. So, uh, pinch it, connections aside, it's absolutely worth listening to. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that, definitely get on it. Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. It's a labour of love, and it does you right take absolutely forever <laughs> to make. But it's, uh, we're loving doing it, and we couldn't do it without you guys. So, cheers. Well, thank you both. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. And if you're feeling especially kind today, why not leave us a five-star review in the podcast app? Cheers. Podcast Network.